Good evening, church. I ask you all to stand with me as we read the scripture tonight, which comes from Luke 21, verses 5 through 7. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You all may be seated. Well, good evening. Good to see you all. Thank you so much for coming out. I love being able to gather midweek and just sharing these sweet moments. We have some special guests with us tonight. I normally don't call people out, but he's my boss, and so I will. Uh, we have our superintendent, Mike McAvoy, uh, is with us right down here. Wave at me, Mike. Yeah, wave at everybody. Mike's here. And uh, his wife, Marnie, their daughter, Hannah. We also have Denise Stevens with us as well on the conference staff. Wave at me, Denise. Yes. There we go. And a special guest, Eddie Ray's godmother is here as well. She's a minister as well and does an amazing job in North Alabama. Chris Letson is with us, if you'll wave at me. There you go. Thank you. So thankful. And if I miss somebody, I apologize. They're just sitting right there. So uh, we are continuing in our series as we're going through the Gospel of Luke. And last Sunday, we found ourselves in Luke 21. And we were talking about, in verses 1 through 4, this first action, this thing that we are to engage in until Christ's return. And it was the lovely topic of giving. I know you all enjoyed that sermon. And uh, that was a joke. This Sunday, we're going to be talking about five more actions that we are to be engaging in. And then next Wednesday, we're going to talk about the final two actions that we are to be engaging in. And Kelly will be preaching that night. And so please come out and be a part of that. Tonight, I want us to go to Luke 21. If you have a Bible, go to Luke 21. We just read three verses in verses 5 through 7. We're actually going to be looking through verse 27. So if you have a Bible, please. Luke 21. While you're turning there, let's pray. Father, we come to you in this moment so thankful because your presence is already here among us. And so, Lord, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us. Lord, would your word truly come alive as Kelly prayed earlier. And Lord, would you speak to us because our ears are open, our hearts yearn to hear your words. So speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said... In Luke 21, Jesus gives us a guarantee. It's a promise. And he says it will happen. The end will happen. The end will come. And it's hard to think about really. Uh, It seems like everything's been here forever and it seems like, at least how we think about it, everything's going to be here forever, but it's not. It's not. In fact, even though there's a long line of time that marks human history and the history of the world, there will be a day when time, as we know it and experience it, will come to an end. And on that day, we will see the dawn of the first eternal day take place. And this is at the center of Jesus' teaching in many ways in Luke 21. Again, according to Jesus, it will 
happen. And the word will is important because uh, uh, among all the truth and among all the speculation, the one thing Jesus wants us to know is that this will happen. The word will is the most repeated word in this chapter. And so the one thing that he is communicating over and over, while there's all these nuances to it that sometimes we get lost in, Jesus is wanting us to know that the end will come and he will return. He wants us to know that with certainty. I would even say a confident certainty. I don't know how much more certain you can be other than certain, uh, but a confident certainty that the end will happen, he will return. And the end that he's speaking of is not just to the end of individuals' lives. That's not it. But there will be an end to the whole of humanity and life here as we know it. With this teaching that Jesus gives here, there's a lot of beauty, but there's also a lot of lament. It's a mixture of the two. And within the words that we see Jesus speak here, there are words of encouragement. There really are. At the same time, these words of encouragement are mixed with words of hardship. We see both the joy of our salvation, yes, but we also see the painful experiences that we will or can experience in life that are connected to our faith mixed together. And when it comes to the end of time as we know it and how we experience it, there's questions that come up. One of those questions is simply, how will we know? How will we know? What are the signs? What are the signs that the end is approaching? Jesus is teaching his disciples on this day and he's going at a particular question here in Luke 21 that comes up about signs, because that's what they're asking about, and how we will know. Jesus is getting at here, he's telling the disciples, he's revealing to them, what are the signs that the end is beginning? What are the signs that the end is beginning? Now we know, again, an end is coming. This is not just from here in Luke. We see it in the other Gospels. We see it in places like Hebrews 9.28 that says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear, he will appear, a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And then this idea of signs, how are we going to know? This is also mentioned in other places throughout Scripture. If you just take what Paul says to Timothy, Paul actually writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy has a lot to say about this. In 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul writes to Timothy and says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Paul says to Timothy, there's coming time in latter times when people will depart from the faith, meaning they had the faith and then they're leaving. You can't depart from something that you didn't have. That they'll depart from the faith and a part of that departure is going to be they're going to follow after deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 and following, Paul writes to Timothy and says, but understand this. That in last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Does this sound familiar? Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, 
but denying its power. And then Paul tells Timothy three dangerous words, avoid such people. When Jesus takes up this important subject of the last days and what the end will look like in Luke's gospel, he talks about three arenas in which signs are going to appear. And again, he's telling his disciples, this is how you know that you are at the beginning of the end. This is how you know that the end is beginning. The first arena that he talks about, and he says that there will be signs within and around the church. Within and around the church. And in Luke 21, he gives six specific signs of this. The first one we see in verse 8. Jesus communicates to his disciples that one of the signs, one of the ways you're going to know that the end is beginning is that there will be false teachers and antichrists, plural, that will arise. Most of the time when we think of antichrist, we think of a singular person, but no, there are antichrists, plural, that will come about. Verse 8 says, and he said to them, see that you are not led astray. For many, many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is at hand. He says, but do not go after them. Jesus is telling them here that there are going to be many people who will be false teachers who arise. And this is a sign for you whenever you see this happen. But there's also going to be many people who are antichrist who are going to arise as well. This is echoing, or later John will echo Jesus here in 1 John 2.18 when he says that many antichrists have already gone out into the world. So in the first century, they are seeing this spirit of antichrist already at work in the world. And Jesus is telling them, this is the beginning of the end. The second thing that he points out is in verses 9 and 10. Not only will there be false teachers and antichrists that go out into the world, but in verses 9 and 10, he says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Verse 9 says, when you hear of wars and tumults, which just means mass confusion, rumors of wars, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. It is progressively going to come about. Verse 10, then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. The word nation there we know is the word ethnos. It means where we get the word ethnic from. He said ethnic group is going to rise against ethnic group. He says you're going to see this play out. You're going to see racial wars play out. And whenever you're seeing this play out as they were seeing in the first century, he says this is a sign that the end is beginning. Even today, there are 50 million people all around the world who are enslaved. The four leading countries for this is India, China, Pakistan, and North Korea. And so many times when people are enslaved, it's built around the issue of race. And Jesus said, though, this is going to happen. Again, 50 million people today, 49.6 if you want to be exact, but 50 million people. And again, this was happening in the first century as well. He also says kingdom is going to come against kingdom, meaning basilea against basilea. The word basilea, this is, means the political structures are going to come against each other as well. Whenever you see this taking place, not just ethnic battles, not just racial battles, but whenever you're seeing kingdoms against kingdoms taking place and wars happening, he said that too is a sign. It's the beginning of the end. The next one that he gives them is natural disasters are going to take place. Natural disasters. Verse 11, this will be, or there will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilence. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Notice that he mentions famines. 
He says there are going to be famines in various places. You know that 70 million people died in 30 major famines in the 20th century? See, we don't think about that as much. Many times we get honed in on how we're living here and are we taken care of and are our stomachs fed, but famine is happening all over the world right now. 70 million people? I don't know about you, but that's a lot. He says this is going to take place. They were seeing famines in the first century. It's as if the God who holds the world together is, is allowing this to take place on the planet. But again, Jesus says when you see this taking place, it is the beginning of the end. Not only that, in verse 12, he says that there's going to be persecution of Christians. People are going to be persecuted because of their faith. Verse 12, but before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you and delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Not just for any reason, but for the sake of Jesus' name, these things are going to take place. Persecution started with those first followers of Jesus. What we see today is that 360 million people in the world right now are categorized as a persecuted Christian. Do you realize that's up 20 million people in one year? In just one year. We went from 340, 340 million people, Christians persecuted in 2021, to 360 million Christians persecuted in 2022. And those are the latest numbers that we have. But again, the first followers of Jesus began to see it as well. Jesus saying it's the beginning of the end. Verse 16, he says there's going to be family betrayal. And even people being martyred for their faith. Verse 16, you will be delivered up even by your parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. He says, this is going to take place. There's nothing fun about it. But he's being honest. This is what, this is how you're going to know the end is beginning. I was just over in Egypt, and while I was over there, I was having a conversation with Hannah, who runs Hannah's home. And she was telling me about a girl she had just met. She's 22 years old. And she had not had another person hug her in 12 years. Because when she was 10 years old, she was taken to a bridge and she was thrown off that bridge. It was down, it was it's a water, it's waste, it's where people throw their garbage. And, and someone threw her off the bridge in order for her to go underneath the water, but the garbage would not allow her to come back up. But when they threw her off the bridge, she landed on a large stone, a rock. And while that rock hurt her, it also saved her life because the next day someone found her. You know who threw her in there? Her mother. This is happening all over the world right now. And Jesus said, yep, that's how you're going to know it's the beginning of the end. And then in verse 17, he says there's going to be mass hatred toward Christians. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. What Jesus is telling his disciples is that when you see these signs, it is the beginning of the end. And all of these signs begin to take place in their generation. There's a second arena, though, that Jesus talks about. Not just signs within and around the church, but also there will be signs in Jerusalem itself, in the city. Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by her enemies, verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Not only that, Jerusalem's people will be scattered and they will be killed. He goes on in verse 21. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter in. 
For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. He goes on to say in verse 23, alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. Verse 24, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And we say, what does that mean exactly? The times of the Gentiles began when Babylon entered Jerusalem and took it captive, 2 Kings chapter 24. And all those kingdoms that took uh, Jerusalem and Israel captive all the way down to the Romans who are right now, when Jesus is saying these words, occupying Jerusalem itself. But Jesus says there's going to come a time when this will end. There's going to come a time when this will be fulfilled, when what was started by Babylon, you know, that comes from the word Babel, right? What is started by Babylon will come to an end. And we see that picture in Revelation 18, 21, when it says, the great city of Babylon, the city that has gone into the city of Jerusalem and claimed it for itself, but the great city of Babylon will be thrown down. The dominion and the domination of the pagan Gentiles will be overthrown one day. Whenever you're reading Jesus here, he gets very descriptive and personal. He's talking about women who are pregnant. He's talking about nursing infants, women who are nursing their infants. And he's talking about the desolation that's going to take place. I've told you as we've gone throughout this series, Jesus is pointing them towards 70 AD and what took place there. Here are some of Josephus' words as he describes the siege on Jerusalem in 70 AD that proves Jesus' words here. Josephus wrote and he said, when Titus, you know Titus, the emperor, when Titus had therefore encompassed the city with this wall, he put a wall around it, and put garrisons into proper places, he went around the wall at the first watch of night and observed how the guard kept it. So all hope of escaping was now cut off for the Jews together with their liberty of going out of the city. Then did the famine widen its progress and devour the people by whole houses and families. The upper rooms were full of women and children that were dying by the famine. And the lanes of the city were full of dead bodies of the aged. The children also and the young men wandered about in the marketplaces like shadows, all swelling with the famine and fell down dead wheresoever their misery seized them. That is but a small description of what took place in 70 AD. And as Jesus is looking at his disciples, he's saying, yes, there are signs that are going to happen in and around the church, but there's also signs that are going to happen in Jerusalem. And when you see that, know that the end is beginning. Know that the end is beginning. Now, this kind of judgment on the city of Jerusalem is not something that should have caught the people off guard. It is actually in line with the list of covenant curses that we find in the Old Testament. So, think Deuteronomy 32 or Hosea 9 or Micah 3. It was Solomon who told the people of Israel that if they abandoned the temple of the Lord, that the Lord would destroy the temple, 1 Kings 9. And again, Jesus is saying to his disciples, the end is beginning. 
And when the end begins, you are entering into that time known as the last days. But not only will there be signs in and around the church, and not only will there be signs in Jerusalem, there's also going to be signs within Israel itself, broader Israel and then beyond in the conscience of people because of what will happen to them. Verse 25, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. And on the earth, distress of the nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves, people fainting with fear and with the foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There's a lot here. I want to do this quickly. Notice that he mentions there will be signs in sun, moon, and stars. Now, before we go into meteorology, we need to first do theology. What was the first mention of sun, moon, and stars in the Bible? Because the first mention is going to define it for us. Yes, Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 and following. And God said, let there be lights, plural, in the expanse of the heavens and separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens and give light upon the earth. And so it was. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. Greater light being the sun, lesser light being the moon. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the Darkness. What an interesting phrase. To separate the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning on the fourth day. The sun, moon, and stars are to govern the separation of light and darkness. They do that physically, but also spiritually as well. And so the question is, who was given the task of doing that. What people were given the task of separating light from darkness? Isaiah 42, 6. Israel is called and redeemed and given a vocation. And that is to be a light to the Gentiles. They are to be a light to the Gentiles. They are to be the conduit that separates light from darkness and then ultimately fulfilled in Jesus who came and said, I am the light of the world. But where is sun, moon, and stars also mentioned in Scripture? I knew you were going to ask, so I looked it up. Genesis 37. Genesis 37, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, "Uh, listen, I had a dream. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheave rose and stood up, and your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. He's a smart guy. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? Notice that whenever they hear that, they know that someone's going to reign and someone's going to rule. And they hated him all the more because of this dream. And then he had another dream and he couldn't keep his mouth shut. And he told his brothers, listen, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And then the next thing the text says, and he told his father, what's his father's name? Israel. 
He told his father as well as his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down on the ground before you? His brothers were jealous, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now we have the sun, moon, and stars appearing again. This time Joseph representing, pointing to in a picture of Jesus, who was the one who was ultimately betrayed, ultimately cast down into the pit, who perfectly shines the light into the world. Jesus is the one who perfectly separates the light and darkness. And we have Israel involved. Jacob, the father of Joseph, Israel himself, he is the one. His people are the one who are called to be a light to the Gentiles. And here we have the sun, moon, and 11 stars again representing Israel. Revelation 12, 1 through 6. Let's go to the end. And a great sign, there's that word again, appeared in heaven. A woman, who is that woman? Israel, clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. All the tribes this time, not one bound, not, not eleven bound down to one. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. Who's that? Satan. He started as a snake, now he's a dragon. Boy, it's getting worse. With seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth, fallen angels. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore the child, Jesus, he might devour it. But she gave birth to a male child, one who would rule the nations with an iron rod. But her child was called up to God and to his throne. Death burial, resurrection, ascension, and the woman fled into the wilderness. What an interesting image. Who also fled into the wilderness in the Old Testament? Israel. Israel. The sign in sun, moon, and stars is Israel. Israel the mother in Revelation 12. Israel, who had this vocation to bring the Messiah into the world. The church's vocation is to take the Messiah to the world. Jesus says there are going to be signs in and around the church. There's going to be signs specifically in Jerusalem. There's also going to be signs happening throughout all of Israel and the world beyond. And there will be a spiritual shaking in the heavens. It's what Mark in Mark 13, 8 says is the beginning of birth pains. And the disrupting of supernatural forces will cause a deep spiritual upheaval. Notice that people will faint, Jesus says. Jesus revealing that those who have no hope in Him, no hope in the life to come, no hope in the reality of a world beyond this one will be overcome with fear. And there will be fear in the air in the last days, Jesus says. Fear will be the state of the human heart and distress will be there. And it will crush Many, many people. You see, fear is not just a bad emotion. It can be a very good one. But it's not just a bad thing. Fear is a key indicator for the Christ follower of the state of their spiritual vitality. You see, fear cannot rule where the Holy Spirit reigns. And we are the temple of the... Hmm. Jesus is saying... This is the beginning of the end. But do not fear. 
You don't have to fear. I'm with you now. My presence is with you, and I'm coming back for you. Verse 27, and then them, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. This is the beginning of it, but one day you will see me coming on the cloud. I'm going to get into that on Sunday. I want to close with this. Whenever we talk about the second coming of Christ and hear Jesus revealing this to his disciples in the first century saying, you're going to see the signs within this generation, he says, if you go on in the text. And they did see these signs within their generation because 70 AD is not too far away. The end began in their generation. But many times whenever we talk about the second coming of Christ or things like this, fear can rattle in us. Fear can rattle around in us. And I I really think part of that fear that rattles around in us is whenever we think about Christ's return and standing before Him, the fear that's rattling in us is simply the idols of our heart getting nervous. I think so many times when we come to this particular topic, we get really nervous, but really what it is, it's the idols in us beginning to shake. And that's why it's real important that when we lay those idols down and we take them to the Lord's threshing floor so He can deal with those things, whenever we do that and we're constantly laying those idols down, that's when we can say, come Lord Jesus. That's when we can say, come Lord Jesus. I'm not hanging on to anything else this world has to offer. I lay all those things down at your feet so I can say, come, I'm ready. When is the day or the hour? Well, no one knows. And if anyone tells you they know, they don't know. But we can know that the end has begun. The signs were there in the first century. The signs are only increasing, and therefore we're getting closer. And instead of this being a point of fear, let it be a point of faith. Let us lay down those idols on the Lord's threshing floor that He may deal with those things so that fear would not rule in our hearts, only the Holy Spirit and the peace He gives. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because you are good, and we thank you because you have made promises that you're going to keep. I can think of no better way to remind ourselves of those promises than to enter into a time of holy communion and worship. And so, Lord, we're here to say, come. Come. May we lay our idols down, those things within us, those selfish parts of our heart and mind and our soul that get nervous when we think about your arrival. May we lay them down so that we may look forward to that day with pure, unfiltered joy. Let it be so, Lord, in us, even tonight. I pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name and everybody said.